copy of the notes. Please put your hand up. Someone will bring you a copy of notes. Please be seated. You're very welcome. God bless you. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is David. Great privilege to be the pastor here. So if you open up the little booklet inside, you'll see some notes of where we're going and what we're talking about this morning. Thank you to the worship group. Beautiful worship this morning. We have different worship leaders each week in a different style, and it's lovely, wonderful. Good to have Dudley and Sylvia back with us again after many weeks of being away. God bless you. We're so glad to have you back with us this morning. And there are other folks who I notice who've come in and different things. Wonderful. We often sing the children's song, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I wonder when we read this passage if you see Jesus as gentle, meek or mild. Whether we should change the words to sarcastic Jesus, cranky and angry. I wonder how you see Jesus as we read this passage this morning. Jesus has been, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark and uh, each taking verse by verse and going through together and learning different things about Jesus as we go. As we get to this passage, we'll talk some more about it. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. All the words will be there on the screen. But we've been talking about how Jesus, as he goes, proclaims his message. His message is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's read the verse together. Kingdom, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. All right. So this is the message Jesus has been sharing and proclaiming, and everywhere he goes, he talks to people about the kingdom of God. And over the last few weeks, in chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, we've been seeing Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God coming in a new way by demonstrating that he is the prophet Moses said would come. So in the Old Testament, Moses, the leader of the Hebrew people, said another prophet will come who will have the very words of God in his mouth. And through chapter 6, as Jesus fed the 5,000, and then as Jesus walked on the water, Jesus demonstrates in a new way some of the miracles of Moses and puts himself in that line, that he is the prophet coming that Moses said would come. And then in chapter 7, we spoke about this last week, chapter 7, Jesus expands on some of the teaching of Moses and clarifies some of it and seems to contradict some of it. So in chapter 7, Jesus, for instance, says to them, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And that seems to be against what Moses has said. And Jesus comes, and this is the nature of his teaching. He comes and teaches in a new and amazing way, with authority. Comes and teaches with authority. And in this little verse here, he upsets the religious leaders. Religious leaders come at the beginning of chapter 7 to investigate Jesus and criticize his disciples. Jesus gives this parable, and then he runs away. That's where we find our story this morning. Perhaps not running, perhaps more strategic withdrawal. The better part of discretion. Or maybe he's on holidays. Or maybe he's on the lamb. For our new Australians, on the lamb is an English expression which you say when someone's running away or hiding. They're on the lamb. Messiah's on the lamb. So he left that place and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He's been pursued by the crowds in chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, it talks about people coming from all over, that Jesus is so busy he can't go anywhere without tripping over people, hasn't got time to eat and the whole problems. 
And then the religious leaders have come and inquisitioned him and asked questions and criticized him. So Jesus says, you know what? It's time to take a break. And he leaves the country. This is the only time in the Gospels, uh, in his adult life, that we see Jesus leaving the country, leaving Israel. The only time in his adult life that we're told he went outside the traditional bounds of Israel. So it's one of those things. Here is a man who changes the world, but never goes more than 200 miles from the place he was born. Changes the whole world, but never goes more than 200 miles from the place he was born. There is a map here that gives you a little indication of, of the various places. So this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, traveling up and down and around Pernium and Nazareth, where he lived and those sorts of things. And up here is Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre is the city we're talking about here. And uh, Matthew, when he tells this same story, he says Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is even today the traditional end Israel, the Golan Heights, uh, the contested land between Israel and Lebanon, Syria. And so the Golan Heights, you may have heard about them in the news oh, 12 months ago. Yeah, we won't talk about that. Um, but this is the contested land between Israel and their neighbours even today. So 2,000 years later, they're still arguing about where the line should be drawn here. And Jesus has gone from somewhere here at Sea of Galilee and walked his way up into here. It's about about 50 miles, about two days' journey, two days' walking, gone for a walk. Tyre is a city that's famous in the Old Testament and in the New, famous for its wealth and power. It was often a target for prophecy. So if you read the book of Ezekiel, Tyre gets mentioned a lot. It's a trading city. It's a port. It's a place of great wealth. And uh, we, we'll talk about the Phoenicians in a minute. The Phoenicians are famous for working out of Tyre, and they actually start the Carthaginians. Have you ever heard of the Carthaginians? They started from here, went off to fight Hannibal, went off to fight the Romans in the 200 BC. They all come from this part of the world. And so Jesus goes out of the country. He goes north. He walks up. He probably didn't go into the city itself, but went to that region, went somewhere there to stay with people, went there for the purpose, we're told. He entered a house, didn't want anyone to know it. He's going away for a purpose. He couldn't keep his presence hidden. Someone, someone tells a woman about him. A woman with a problem hears about Jesus and she comes to him. In fact, as soon as she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. And this is fairly standard thing, uh, fairly standard miracle story that we've read many times in the Gospel of Mark. Someone has a problem. They hear about Jesus, they go to Jesus, they fall at his feet, Jesus fixes the problem. We've seen this again and again in the Gospel of Mark. Got a problem, someone tells me about Jesus, go to Jesus, I fall at his feet, I ask for his help, and Jesus fixes the problem. Every single time we hear about someone with a problem hearing about Jesus and falling at his feet, Jesus fixes the problem, then and there on the spot. But not this time. Not this time. There's something different here. And verse 26, Mark explains why. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. Tyre and Sidon are mentioned are the cities of the Phoenicians, the merchants, the explorers. They're rich and wealthy people, and they're not Jewish. Here the word Greek, uh, it's called Greek, 
basically in those world, if you were a Jewish, you were Jewish or you're Greek, you're one of the two. Guess what? You and me, we're Greeks. In the Jewish mindset, we're Greeks. Whether you're from Africa or the islands or your people came from Europe hundreds of years ago or whether your people have been in Australia forever, you're Greeks. That's how the Jewish people think about it. She's a Syrian Phoenician. She's of a different ethnic group, a different language group, a different culture. She's a pagan. And so in this word here, the Greek word stands for lots of different things. A Gentile, those of the nation. A pagan, someone who worships many gods. Basically a non-Jew or a foreigner. The Greeks, by the way, have the same word, the word barbarian. If you're actually, the Greeks see the world in the same way. You're either Greek or you're a barbarian. Guess what? We're barbarians. Okay? The Greeks came up with that word because to them, it didn't all sound Greek to them. To them, whenever foreigners would speak, it sounded like they were sheep going ba, 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 ba. And that's why they started calling us barbarians. So wherever you are, if you're in, you're in, and everybody else is out. Yes? There's Australia, and then there's everybody else. And there's maybe there's Logan, and then there's everywhere else. And then there's Queensland. Hallelujah. And then there's everywhere else. It's the natural way of looking at the world. In this situation, this woman is described as being a Greek, not Jewish, a pagan. She's a Gentile. She's a foreigner. And that stops the miracle story in its in its tracks. The story is going along normally and then stops because it's explained. She's a foreigner. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She begged him. This was an ongoing issue. When we read this same story in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 15, um, it's, it, Matthew gives us even more detail. So Matthew says that Jesus did not answer her a word. He kept on begging. Jesus didn't even talk to her. She kept on begging to the point where the disciples said to Jesus, can you tell this woman to go away? She's annoying me. Just like Stefano was having problems with the pig. Can you tell this pig to go away? He's annoying me. The disciples come to Jesus and say, look, tell this woman to get lost. She's driving us batty. And in Matthew's version of this story, Jesus replies to the disciples, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus says to his disciples, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. This foreign woman is not my business. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. The normal miracle story is disrupted because Jesus doesn't see this woman as part of his mission. His priority is the lost sheep of Israel, and this woman presents a problem. Well, two problems. Well, one problem, but with two bits. Jesus is here in secret. He's hiding out. He's letting things cool down back home in Galilee and Israel. We don't think about it that way, but that's how Jesus is it. He's stewarding his messianic secret. Sometimes Jesus tells people not to tell anyone when he does a miracle. We talked about that in chapter 1, where he healed the leper and told the leper, don't tell anyone. What did the leper do? He told everyone. And as a result, Jesus had much more problems doing his mission. He had to go off into lonely places. This is a regular thing. When Jesus sees the temperature in Israel getting too hot or too excited or people are getting carried away, 
he gently walks away off stage left, puts a different colour cloak on and disappears into the crowd. He does this quite regularly. This is the first and only time in Mark's Gospel where he actually leaves the country to cool the things down. But Jesus knows he has to die at the right time, in the right place, to have the right effect. He wants to have the maximum impact. So when things start getting too boiled up and turbulent in Israel, he says, you know what, time to go and visit the beach. Time to take myself off the tyre and put my feet in the Mediterranean. Not many Jewish people live in that part of the world. There'd be a few here and there scattered among. And Jesus is staying probably in a Jewish household. So he can, you know, don't want to mix with the Gentiles too much. He's not there to mix with them. He's here to hide out. And so when this woman comes and starts begging him and asking him to help her, he's going, you're going to blow my cover. I'm here in secret. I'm here to proclaim the kingdom of God to the lost sheep of Israel. And at the moment, I'm hiding. don't need to be dealing with you. In Luke chapter 10, we have a clue to this. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus reflects on the situation in Israel and outside of Israel. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, well to you, Bethsaida. That's two Jewish cities. He says, woe to you, Jewish cities. Because if I'd done the miracle, if the miracles performed in you had been performed in where? Tyre and Sidon, those two cities we're talking about in Syria, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And he talks about various Jewish cities and says, you guys, I've been done so many miracles in you that if I had done it in the Gentile world, if I'd done it in the Greek world, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. You guys just won't get it. Jesus looks at the situation in the Greek and Gentile world. He sees a dry forest, just a single spark will set it raging on fire. And so he's afraid, perhaps, that if he does this miracle for this woman publicly, all the Gentiles will come from all over and they'll all want to be healed. And if he goes around healing Greeks, he'll become famous there as well. And that's not his mission. He hasn't been sent to the lost sheep of the Greeks. He's been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. His mission is first and foremost to proclaim the good news to the Jews so that they will kill him in the right way in fulfillment of prophecy. If the Greeks get a hold of him and he starts doing miracles for the Greeks, he may end up in Rome on a golden throne with nothing to say about it. He doesn't want that. He's here to fulfill prophecy. He wants to die in the right way in the right place. He was here on secret and it's not his mission to help this woman. So he says, you know what? I've tried ignoring this woman. My disciples are telling me to deal with her because she's bugging them. All right. He says, so he says, I'll let her down gently. I'll let her down gently. I'll discourage her and send her away. I'll tell her a story. She'll get offended. She'll leave. Verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her. For it's not right to take the children's food, children's bread, and toss it to the dogs. This is a little parable, a little story that Jesus tells. And he's hoping the woman, my interpretation, he's hoping the woman will take offense and leave. Hoping that this will be enough to tell her, go away, I'm not here for you. And we take offense, don't we, at the word dog. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it the dogs. 
Dogs is not a positive expression in Scripture. And throughout the Old Testament, there are many times that people complain about the dogs. We have dogs in our culture today, but dogs have a completely different place in our culture than they would have had 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. If you want to talk about dogs, go and talk to Chris about her dog and the adventures she's had this week and how valuable her dog is to her and her family. Have a chat to Chris afterwards about dogs. We have dogs in our homes. We have dogs in, that we love and keep us companion. There are there are wonderful things, and we think we say dogs are the most positive things. Man's best friend is a dog. Man's best friend is a dog. But in this culture, in this society, dogs weren't pets. They were pests. They would live on the edge of the village eating the rubbish. They'd sneak in and snatch things. They had disease. These days we control our dog populations by, you know, neutering them and caring for them and all the rest of it. All the rest of it. Dogs in those days bred like rabbits. They're hard to control. And they were vicious. And so when someone gets called a dog, it's not a good thing. Also, dogs are not kosher animals. They're unclean animals. So the Jewish people are forbidden from going and touching them or having anything to do with them or eating them. Some countries in the world today, people eat dogs. Jewish people never eat dogs because they're an unclean animal. Same as a pig. Jewish people wouldn't eat pigs. They're not kosher. But, of course, Jesus has declared all food clean in the previous hunt passage, so if you'd like to eat dog, no scriptural objection to it, go right ahead. But for us in our Western culture, we would go, no way. We could never eat a dog. Never eat a dog. I knew a man who told me once that he'd eaten a dog in Indonesia and told me it tasted quite nice. So maybe, but it's not our culture to do that. But even in our world today, to call someone a dog is a really mean thing to do. Donald Trump gets in trouble for that regularly, for calling people dogs. And it's something that I do too. It's part of my German heritage that we call people dogs when they do something that upsets us. We say, you lousy dog, you schweinhund. No, we get annoyed. Don't we, Hans? We sometimes, I do anyway. When my children do the wrong thing, I say, ooh, lousy dog. It's just part of my culture, one of my expressions. And so the Old Testament talks about dogs in a negative way. In the New Testament, apart from this story, dogs are only mentioned three times, and it's all negative. So, for instance, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, do not give to dogs what is sacred, or cast your pearls before swine, he says. They'll just trample it under their feet and then turn and attack you. Jesus doesn't talk about dogs in a nice way. He sees them as scary animals on the edge of the village. Paul talks about dogs in Philippians chapter 3. He uses it as an insult. He talks about those dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. He's actually criticizing religious people there, the people who want to bring circumcision back. But he calls them dogs. Not a very nice thing to say. And in Revelations 22, the other time the dogs get mentioned, the very end of the scripture. Jesus, John the Revelator, is writing the words of Jesus. Jesus saying, enter into my kingdom, come into my rest. He says, outside of my kingdom are the dogs. Practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so these dogs outside the town, not a good thing. So overall... It's not a positive thing to be called a dog, even in a parable. I believe Jesus is trying to discourage this woman 
and to send her away because it's not his mission to help her and he's here in secret. He's trying to keep a low profile. These are the words of Jesus to her. Not right to take the children's food and give it to the dog. He responds, Lord. Lord. Greek word kurie. We sing, I mean, have heard the song, kurie eleison, Lord have mercy. Lord. He looks at this man who's just called her and her entire country and indeed the rest of the world dogs and says, Master, Lord, Sir. Acknowledging his supremacy. And she is the first person in Mark's gospel to call Jesus Lord. We've interacted with Jesus on so many times. We've had Jesus come and talk to different people. And here is the very first person that Mark writes down calling her Lord. There's important things there. Jesus has called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus, when he healed the demoniac, he says, go and tell how much the Lord has done for you. But here, this woman, this foreigner, is the first person in Mark's gospel to look him in the eye and say, Lord. Even the dogs said. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Rather than taking the discouraging parable as a discouraging parable, he uses it as a ladder make her point, to climb up and to bring her claim before Jesus once again, drawing faith from the words of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, first let the children, first. He goes, oh, if there's a first, there must be a second. If the children have to be fed first, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I make sense. I would feed my daughter before I'd feed a dog. But once the children have had enough, there's some left over for the dog. She's going to take that and she's going to climb it. She's going to say, Jesus, you just said, first the children are going to be fed. I'm happy to be, call me a dog, that's fine. I just want a crumb. I don't want much. The children will have plenty. There's lots of bread. There's lots to go around. And she may have even heard the word that Jesus can multiply the bread. Remember we read that in chapter 6? Jesus takes five loaves of bread and feeds 5,000 people. She may have heard that story and says, well, all I need is a crumb because you can take that crumb and turn it into something amazing. There's plenty to go around. And these children, the Jews, that are causing trouble and not wanting all that Jesus has to offer them, that's why he's out here in this Greek area. Plenty to go around, she says. Crumbs to fall off the table, even for us little dogs. He's not offended. He's encouraged. Sometimes we say when you pray, there'll be three answers. No, yes, and wait. This woman gets a pretty solid no, and she says, but. So I want to encourage you. If you're praying and the answer from God seems to be no, you say, hang on, God, let me ask you that one more time. Because sometimes we give up too soon. The word might seem to be no, maybe ask again. And Jesus is impressed by this woman's answer. He's amazed at this woman. First of all, that she's the first person to call him Lord in Mark's gospel. That must have gone, wow, that's pretty great. He says to her, for such a reply, you may go. Your daughter, the demon has left your daughter. He is so impressed with her for such a reply. For using my words against me, Jesus almost says, for such a reply, 
Oh, that's amazing. Matthew 15, when Matthew tells the story, he has Jesus use these words. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. She doesn't take no for an answer. She isn't discouraged. She draws arguments from the parable and she demonstrates her faith. She gets her answer. She keeps on pushing until she gets what she needs. She went home. Jesus doesn't go with her. He just says to her, your daughter's been healed, go home. I think, and I didn't check on this, I was meant to check on this this morning, I think this is also the first distance miracle we read about in Mark's gospel of Jesus saying to someone, go home, it's sorted. He doesn't need to go with them. I think this is the first one in Mark. I can't think of another. Can you guys down the front think of any? You smarty pants down the front? No, he's shaking his head, good man. In other gospels we read, in other gospels we read of Jesus commanding people, go home, it's all sorted. This is the first time in Mark's gospel where Jesus says, go home, it's sorted. She exercises her faith and she goes home. He trusts Jesus. He goes home and found her child lying on the bed. Actually, the Greek is a bit stronger there. The Greek says she was thrown down on the bed. This demon didn't leave without a fight, but it had to leave. He's exhausted, thrown down on the, on the bed. Had a real impact. Demon was gone. The reason I believe Jesus didn't go with her because as soon as she walked out the door, Jesus says to his disciples, pack up, we're out of here. We're going. Because verse 31 says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. He's done something which is against his mission. He's been sent only to the house of Israel. It's not his plan to go and start spreading miracles among the Greeks and the Gentiles. That's not why he's here. But he's done it now. So it's time to leave town before this woman tells everyone about it. It's time to get up and go. Depending on how you read the Greek, so if he's somewhere here near Tyre, he goes away even further up into Sidon. He goes around and we'll find him next week, the next chapter down here. He's gone up and around across the mountains through the desert back into Israel by the back door. Goes back to the bottom side of Lake Galilee. He heads east and south back to Galilee by the back door. Still needs his break. Still needs things to calm down in Israel before he comes back and starts again. But he doesn't want to start a forest fire in the Greek world either. So he heads into the wilderness and reappears in an unexpected place. Are there any questions this morning about anything I've spoken about? Sorry for calling you smarty pants. I meant that in love, by the way. Are there any questions this morning about anything I've spoken about before we conclude? Yes, Dudley. I'm glad you're back, Dudley. Good questions. Go, mate. Ooh, so Dudley's asking, when we're praying, is it persistent, please? P-L-E-A-S. No E, please, questioning, or is it faith? And I would say it's both because we demonstrate our faith by asking persistently. Jesus says when you pray, don't use meaningful, meaningless words and ramble on and on and on. But he also tells the parable of the, the, uh, the woman and the unjust judge. 
Remember the story there where Jesus says about the woman coming to the judge and asking for justice? He says, uh, he says if the woman will get justice by, by annoying this man, how much more quickly will your father come to those who ask So what I would say to you is, yes, if you're driving God mad by asking the same question every five minutes and he says no every time, it might be time to stop. But sometimes we ask God for something once and think he'll handle it and God looks at us and says, where's your faith? got to be a happy middle ground somewhere in between there. I often talk about smashing down a wind, smashing down. Have you got a question? I'll come back to you. I just talk about smashing down a wall. Let's imagine we want to smash down a wall. We've only got a little hammer. How many times are we going to have to hit the wall before it smashes down? It may not be the answer to your prayer. It may not be a God problem. God may be very willing to help you. There may be something else in the way. Keep on asking in faith. Dorothy, you had a question. What's your question? <laughs> so Dorothy says, if Jesus gets so annoyed that he eventually gives in, why don't I? No, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> the answer is, of course, sometimes I do give in when my children pester me and bug me and annoy me, don't you? Sometimes it works. We just don't want them to know that it works because then they'll bug us every time. Jesus really knows what's in the heart of this woman, and he is really earnestly wanting to help her. His heart is breaking at her request. He is so deeply, compassionately involved in wanting to help her. But he knows he shouldn't because it's going to cause trouble elsewhere. But he does it anyway because that woman is so important to him and demonstrates such wonderful faith that she can't, he can't not. He can't not. His heart is a heart of love, just like my heart for you, Dorothy. When you look at me with those eyes and you ask me politely and you say, please, ah, deep in my heart I say, I want to say yes, but Talia said no, so I can't. (laughs) Roz, you had a question? They're good questions this morning. Keep them coming. Roz? Yes. Ah, Roz. You're a wonderful person, Roz, because you bring me to my conclusion. Thank you, Roz. Good job. We'll take that as the last question because that's going to take me to my conclusion this morning. The application will come. I will answer your question. So the question Roz is asking, when does it change? When does Jesus' mission become a mission to us, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to the pagans? We'll talk about that in just a moment. We're talking about our faith thing is about the importance of private prayer, time alone with the Lord, the importance of having that trusted friend, someone to go deep with, the importance of being part of a small group. And I do encourage you, if you're a man and want to be a part of a small group, they're recruiting. It's a fabulous initiative from the guys this morning. If you want to be a part of a group, do that. If you're a lady and you want to be a part of a small group, start one. If you want to, if you want to have a family, a group of young families get together and study the word, do it. For goodness sake, I bless you and I encourage you, go and do it. You don't need me to organize you. Organize yourselves. If you wait for me to organize you, by the way, we're never going anywhere because I'm very unorganized. I'm here this morning because I have a wife who gets me out of bed on time and sends me and does the thing. Get down there and get it done. That's why I'm here this morning. 
But she's the organized one. By the way, if this was the Salvation Army, she'd be running the place and I'd just be preaching. But because we're Wesleyan Methodists, they call me the pastor. It's outrageous. Anyway, <laughs> be a part of a small group. Sign up. Be a part, be on mission. Point people towards Jesus. Be a part of the church. Belong and attend and worship together and encourage one another. This is how we grow our faith. This morning, our application from this is that somebody told this woman about Jesus. Someone who wasn't meant to tell her, tell this woman about Jesus did it anyway. Somebody went to this woman, this outsider, this foreigner, and said, your daughter has a problem. There's a bloke in the house over there who can help her and told her all the stories of Jesus. So this morning, go on mission. Tell someone about Jesus. Even people who don't look anything like you or anything like me, even people who don't speak your language or don't have your culture or whatever else, go and tell people about Jesus. Make friends beyond your culture and class and background. I love our church. I love our diversity. But people from Africa and the islands and middle Australians and people who have been here for generations and first Australians, first Australians, middle Australians, new Australians, everybody's welcome here. We could do with some Native Americans and some Mexicans. If you know some Mexicans, invite them to our church. We need more diversity. We need some, we need some more Japanese people. Let's invite everyone because the gospel is for everyone. I want to encourage you to exercise your faith. This woman exercised her faith by questioning Jesus. Questions are good. When we ask Jesus questions, when we come to him and we can argue with him, we can have the conversation, we come to him and say, Lord, that's a good place to start, by the way, acknowledging him as Lord, and then say, but, or even, or how about, we engage our faith when we ask questions. We talked a little bit about this this morning, didn't we, Ian? The importance of asking questions and thinking about this, from even from an intellectual point of view. Asking questions is good. This woman takes the words of Jesus and she says, there's hope in that for me. And I'm going to take those words and I'm going to talk to Jesus about Use your brain. Exercise your faith. Have the conversation with God. And thirdly, be encouraged. And this is my answer to you, Rod. Be encouraged. That wasn't the time for the Gentiles. Jesus says it to her. In Matthew's Gospel, he says, it's not, I'm not here for you guys yet. Not your time. But when we come to Acts chapter 10, we find out that the time of the Gentiles, the time of the Greeks, the time for you and for me is now. Jesus came first to the house of Israel and second to the rest of the world. And so in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter goes to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, a Greek, and he hears their story. God does an amazing miracle and a vision and the whole thing. You can read it in Acts chapter 10. And Peter goes to them and says, I now realize that it's true that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Jew and Gentile, Greek, German, Italian, Congolese, South African, Burundians, even the Burundians are in. Good news. People from the islands, people from all over the world, he does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And we could read through the whole of Acts chapter 10 he talks about the gospel, this message that Jesus 
God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what's happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a tree, hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And Paul goes on and he preaches the gospel message and preaches it and preaches it and preaches it and preaches it. And he finishes up by saying all the prophets testify about Jesus, that everyone, everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentile dog. Even the Gentiles get the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. There's your answer, Roz. Acts chapter 10. Within a few months, years of Jesus completing his mission and going back to his father, the gospel is spreading to the world. And here in the, the Samaritans get it first and some other part Jews here and there and start spreading amongst the Jewish people around the world. But here in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, the Greeks, the Gentiles. And the gospel door is opened widely to us because Jesus died for all. For all. Whether you've got curly hair or straight hair, whether you've got brown eyes or blue, whether your skin is pinkish like that pig or brownish like Stefano, the gospel was spread out for all of you. For all of us. We're all saved by the one Jesus. Song. Oh, and talks about them being baptized. The song I've chosen this morning is a Salvation Army one, so I don't expect anyone here really knows it. But it's a beautiful song. To come from the east, they shall come from the west, sit down in the kingdom of God. Wherever your people are from, you have a place in the kingdom of God. Wherever your people are going, you have a place in the kingdom of God. Whatever your accent, whatever your language, whatever your culture, you have a place in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you for Jesus and who he is and what he said. Father God, even here with this tough little parable, thank you that he spoke to that woman and shared the good news and then was so impressed by her faith, did what she asked. Father God, increase our faith. Help us to have faith as that woman did. Father God, help us to have the courage to argue with you sometimes and to have the conversation and to say, but, Lord, but, give us that courage, Lord God. Help us to share your good news with everybody. Help us to tell the stories of Jesus and help us to invite all people from whatever culture, whatever background, come and sit down in the kingdom of God. We pray all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus our Saviour, our Messiah, our King. Amen. Amen. Amen.